tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. It's Monday. It's a very dreary Monday where I am. And oh, last night I I saw an old grade school friend I hadn't seen in a long time. A few years older than I am. Uh, uh, but uh, he broke his wrist playing tennis. This made me feel old. I'm a few years younger than he is and I'm test driving. I'm test driving rocking chairs. So, but why should I bother you with my problems? Oy, that made me feel ancient. Oy, oy. <sighs> well, let's pray because he renews our youth like, what is it, like the, I forget the, the text, but uh, uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I, I don't know. Tennis at 75. What was he thinking? All right, enough with that. Let's go to the big book on the coffee table. All right, <laughs> this is fairly safe. I don't think I'm going to break anything reading the scriptures here. Let's go to the uh, the gospel uh, text here, Luke, the 12th chapter. Now, we've talked about this. Um, oh, let's see here. Oh, that's no, that's not the right reading. I've got the wrong day. Thank goodness I didn't jump into that one. All right, this today is, of course... Um, um, again, I don't, I can't, tennis, I don't even know what day it is. It's Monday of uh, the 11th, so let's go there. Come on, open up, open up. Okay. <laughs> okay, the, uh, the gospel reading is again about Jonah. We've talked about this before, and, you know, I, I give all the options. Uh, Jonah may have been history as we write history. I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know. And we had a caller who pointed out that, uh, um, uh, a teacher he very much appreciated said that, well, if Jesus said it happened, then it happened. But then I've heard other people say, well, if I tell you uh, it's just like the Pied Piper, you're going to lose your children if you do that. Well, there was no Pied Piper, but like the Pied Piper, you know, that, that um, could have been that. It could have been literal history. It could have been history from the divine perspective, because I always point out that Nineveh uh, was the capital of Assyria. And I know Assyrians, and if Jonah went to Assyria, whatever he said ultimately worked, because they are devout worshippers of the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course of 
the son of our God, Jesus. So, um, you know, they, they are valiant people, the Assyrians, uh, who have maintained the faith in the face of, of serious persecution for over a millennium. So my hat's off to the Ninevites, who are this this prophecy is literally true that that uh, the the um, Ninevites, uh, when I look at my faith compared to the Ninevites, I have known <laughs> one of whom was my barber. Uh, good barber, too. Uh, their 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 devotion to Christ and to their faith is is phenomenal. And um, I've also had the privilege to to um, uh, know uh, the 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 descendants of the Queen of the South. Well, who were those? The Queen of Sheba. It was an area probably in in the Horn of Africa and possibly in Yemen. Uh, there was a, a civilization there. It was devoutly Christian, and I have known. Eritreans and Ethiopians, they too are devout. So, uh, and and surrounded by people who would who would uh, who would want to take them from the faith. So this this what Jesus is saying is literally true that that people from uh, the men of the south and the men of Nineveh will rise up and condemn not only that generation but my generation. Uh, that that uh, you know we we in this country because we are so prosperous and so so powerful and important in our own eyes, we don't really think we need the Lord that much. He needs us. Oh no, no that that uh, uh, our faith is lukewarm compared to to the people about whom Jesus uh, speaks. And <laughs> I've been in parishes with both of those groups. So uh, that said, uh, I think that uh, we should take. The story of Jonah and what Jesus says here is quite literally true. Uh, it is foolish to think it is not true. Uh, uh, it may be poetic history, but it is it is absolutely true. So that said, um, this idea of, of a sign, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, as Jonah was in the whale three days, well, the sign of Jonah is also about the conversion to to the one true God of people who, who, uh, to whom it is not natural, you know, the Assyrians who are very anti, uh, uh, anti-Israelite, the, the, the men of the South, the, 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 the people from, from Ethiopia, Eritrea, uh, they, they are, weren't by nature followers, weren't by heredity followers of, of the God of, uh, of Abraham. So, there, just a thought about it. Okay, uh, the I heard I don't know ah enough with that. I want to go to the the letter of the Romans because uh, the letter of the Romans fascinates me. You know, um, we think of Saint Peter and Saint Paul as the founders of the Church of Rome, and people point out no, there were Christians in Rome already. Uh, before Peter and Paul. They didn't found that church. I would maintain, yes, they did, quite literally. And I would maintain that Paul helped found the Church of Rome through this letter. This letter, the letter to the Romans, well-named, is, I think, the foundational document of the Roman Church, of which I am a member, the Roman Catholic Church, that church which has as its headquarters, for want of a better word, that has Rome as its headquarters. 
Why is that? If there were Christians in Rome before Peter and Paul, how could Peter and Paul have been the founders of the Church of Rome? Because those Christians were expelled from Rome. Let us look at some interesting Roman history. Um, There was a substantial Jewish community in Rome at the time of Christ, and there still is. The descendants of that community still exist today, and contrary to what you might hear, uh, Pope Pius XII was not an anti-Semite. He he didn't know how to handle the situation. Uh, Who would? And... uh, you know, he gets blamed for not doing more, but he did more than most people. He's credited by none other than people like Golda Meir, who was president of, uh, uh, or uh, was uh, uh, prime minister. I forget their system. Uh, but she was the leader of the state of Israel. And uh, I think Pius XII was credited by the state of Israel with saving 600,000 Jews. Uh, he gave an order for all of the convents and seminaries and, and monasteries and rectories in Italy to hide as many Jews as possible from the Nazis. And he was personally responsible for for saving the Jews of Rome. They were, they were, they were camped out at Castel Gandolfo. And uh, Pius XII uh, uh, is responsible for the survival in large measure of that community. And that enrages people when you say, but it is historically so. Read the book by David, Rabbi David Dowen, uh, The Myth of Hitler's Pope. So that said, this, this Jewish community was rooted in Rome bef- a little before the time of Christ and, and has maintained itself to this day. Well, of course, where there, there were Jews, <laughs> evangelists for Christ came along. Uh, and um, we read about a riot, very interestingly, a riot in uh, Rome about a certain Crestos, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Uh, this problem, this riot uh, caused the expulsion of the Jews from Rome by uh, the Emperor Claudius. You had uh, Julius Caesar, then you had Augustus, that was emperor at the time of Christ, you had Tiberius at the time of the death of Christ, and then you had Caligula for a couple years after him, and then you had Uncle Claudius, who was Caligula's uncle. And he was actually a decent emperor, and uh, uh, uh but he did not like particularly like religions that tried to make converts. In fact, he forbade proselytizing, that is, the making of converts. You could practice any religion you wanted, but in his empire, you weren't going to try to force or coerce or invite anyone else to practice your religion. Uh, he looked at religion as something that you inherited. So there you go with, with Claudius. Well, Christianity is an evangelizing religion. And at the time, a lot of people don't realize this, Judaism was also an evangelistic religion, that whole groups converted to Judaism. Uh, the royal family of the kingdom of Abiadne, for instance, and uh, sometime later, uh, the, the, some of the aristocrats of the Khazars seemed to have converted to Christianity. But the Pharisees were out making converts, uh, uh, and there were a lot of non-Jews who practiced uh, uh, Judaism at the time of Christ. Well, Claudius said, no more of that. And then there's this riot in Rome, which we read about in the Roman author Suetonius and in the Acts of the Apostles. 
Suetonius says it was over a certain Christos. Now, the word Christos means the Messiah or the anointed one. It's a Greek word. And the orthography, that is the spelling of, of words, was not fixed. So Christos and Christos could very well have been exactly the same word and probably were. Now, Christos was a very common name for slaves. So Suetonius thought it was about some slave named Christos. That mean, meant handy. It was a common name for slave. Uh, uh, so he assumed it was over some slave, but it was most probably the Jews arguing about the Christ, the Messiah, and Claudius just kicked him out. We read about that in the Acts of the Apostles. Priscilla and Aquila go to Corinth where St. Paul meets them, and they're in the same business, and so they get to know each other. Well, this expulsion probably happened around the year 50 AD. It's kind of hard to say. But in 54 AD, uh, um, Claudius was succeeded by his his uh, nephew and adopted son, his great-nephew and adopted son, Nero. And Nero was partial to Jews. His girlfriend was Jewish. Uh, Sabina, or his girlfriend, was not Jewish, but she was a... Uh, kind of a Jewish wannabe. She was what they would call a God-fearer. She was one of these people interested in Judaism, and uh, so he favored the Jews until he killed his girlfriend. Um, that's another story for another day. Uh, so uh, um, Nero allowed the Jews to, to creep back in to, to, um, to Rome around 54 AD. So Jews and that little sect of Judaism, the Nazarenes, or the Christians, they they probably went back to Rome. And my theory is that St. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans to provide Jews and Gentile Christians a, a Talmudic means of how to get along with each other. He showed them from the law itself how they could both be members of the same family. And I believe that's the letter. He was create the purpose of the letter. He, I believe he was creating sort of a, a Talmudic basis for, uh, well, can't we all just get along? And in that sense, this idea explaining the relationship of faith and works. And remember when St. Paul talks about works in the letter of the Romans, he's talking about works of the law, such as, uh, do you have to break that clay pot because a dead mouse fell in, into it? That's those he points out those things are not salvific. They're not salvific as far as Judaism is concerned, and they certainly aren't salvific as far as non Jewish Christians are concerned. So I think that 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 the letter to the Romans read uh, in that context really is kind of the foundational and formational document document of the Church of Rome. And I think I, and we're gonna look at it in that regard. Uh, in in the coming days, so um, and it, it begins with Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. There's no way that a Roman would would call himself a slave. There was a uh, oh, which one? It was one of the Catos. I think it was was it Cato the younger, who was descended from a branch of the family in which one of the women who progenitrixes was a slave. How You can't have a patrician family or a noble family descended from a slave. How awful. 
uh, very controversial because once, if you were descended from a slave, you you might have been a free man, but you were a slave. You're the nature of a slave. Romans did not believe a person's nature could change, and to be a slave was no compliment. And Paul calls himself a slave of 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 Jesus the Messiah. So. Um, uh, uh, he, he he's talking about through him we received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith of trust for the sake of his name among the gentiles so there's an obedience among the gentiles to trust among you who are also called to belong to Jesus Christ to all the beloved to all the beloved of God in Rome called to be holy so he he's looking at the whole church in Rome and it wasn't a big bunch of people i think dr rodney stark talks about that that and he has good sociology at this point in history maybe there were 10,000 christians a tiny group of people that in a, a jewish population of thousands in rome maybe a few hundred would have been christian and uh, 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 Paul is, 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 is trying to deal with this and, and make a way for these people to see themselves as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. All right. That said, I think it's time, speaking of brothers and sisters, to go to mass hysteria. Classic. Oh, come dance in the forest, come bump into trees. I love that song. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Quick, come dance in the forest, come bump into trees. For this, we gave up Gregorian chant. Now, I'm not trying to, to, to ruin everything. I just, I just think that it would be nice if in every parish we had one mass a sunday that was actually kind of catholic that is did it by the book the real mass of vatican ii i'm longing for the mass of vatican ii one that that gives gregorian chant pride of place one that in which much of it's uh sung in latin to express the universality of the church as 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 the uh mass of vatican ii says one which has the sacredness and the reverence of the mass of the ages. I'm, I would love to see that. And one of the point I want to, I want to discuss two things. One is the microphone father. Now, this is addressed to my fellow priests. You may think you have a lovely voice, but please, when you are leading the congregation and there's singing going on, be it some wonderful anthem such as come dance in the forest, come bump into trees. Um, Turn your mic off, because, Father, the louder you sing, I, you'll, you'll have people who want to sing in the microphone to encourage people to sing. The louder the amplified sound is, the less people will sing. They will listen to the electronic song coming through the, the you know, if you did away with the microphone, um, I think that, that, that especially during any music, the congregation would probably sing more. But, Father, you may think you have a lovely voice, but you you sound like, well, you sound like some suffering waterfowl, possibly, even if you have a good voice. And, and cantors, please, the same thing. When you are canting, <laughs> whatever that is, uh, couldn't you cant quietly? Step away from the microphone. Step away from the mic. 
give the congregation a chance to sing, because the louder, dear cantor, you sing, even if you lift your hands up and wave them about, the congregation, which I think is a ridiculous gesture, the congregation is not going to sing. They're just going to listen to you perform, and if that's what you're going for, fine. But uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, uh, give the congregation a chance to sing. Uh, don't overpower them. Uh, it'll take a while, but the louder you sing into a microphone, the less the congregation will sing. Be you the celebrant or be you the cantor. Now, the next thing I want to rip into is incense. I used incense at a couple masses uh, uh, of a Sunday because incense is integral to the Jewishness or the Israelitishness of the faith that dies us the temple. However... God has a very, very good sense of smell. And you either have the priests who refuse to use incense or the ones who who like heavy cloud cover during Mass and, and want you to have to crawl out of the Mass on hands and knees. I've actually been at services where people left the church ducking because the, the incense was so thick. God has a wonderful sense of smell, and a little incense goes a long way. And, um, you know, don't don't afflict your congregation with secondhand smoke, but the symbolism of incense is beautiful. So don't overdo it, Father. Just because you like incense, you're probably causing asthmatic asphyxiation in some members of your congregation. So tone down the music, whichever form it is. And of course, I'm, I'm, we'll talk more about my idea of having one Mass Sunday that's Catholic, uh, at least. Uh, and another day, because we're going to go to a break, and I'll come back with some letters. We'll be right back. Oy. Oh, hey, the voice in my head just reminded me, phone number, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-914. Nine. <laughs> Any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, the church, and the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Riding the Bluegrass Express, riding the Bluegrass Express, this train will soon be gone and I'm going home. The riding the Bluegrass Express? Give me a break. All right. My goodness. Well, that said, let us... <laughs> is, that, is that... Are you live, dear voice, in my head with that? I don't think he was live. Are you there? You try to what? Pander, and yet now, you are yeah. received with scorn? Yeah, oh, there you go. That's the voice in my head. See, scorn, I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> He's met with scorn. Oh, get used to it. <laughs> All right. Let's go to letters. Yeah. I got a letter that uh, um, recently, um, where was I? Okay. Uh, uh, where, ah, this is from Daniel. I was wondering about the communion antiphon. Somebody wrote in last week, when are you supposed to sing it? Before the priest communion, after the priest communion, after the people's communion? And Daniel wrote me uh, uh, saying, my missile indicates that the communion antiphon is to be said after the celebrant consumes the host. 
and I assume drinks from the chalice. In my experience, the communion antiphon is used during weekday masses, but not during Sunday mass, uh, and is generally read after the celebrant has consumed both species. Yeah, most priests I hear do it from uh, do it after you know just before they launch into the communion prayer, and that's always the way I did it. But it looks like the missal does indicate that it's immediately following the priest's communion as the people receive communion. So I, that's just kind of interesting. So thank you, Daniel. I will try to do it right from now on. Uh, something right, my goodness. All right, let's see here. Um, Let's see here, another one. Oh, I should mention, uh, don't forget to sign up at relevantradio.com uh, slash nativity. Is that it? Slash nativity scene? Well, go to the app and, and they'll figure it out. Yeah, relevantradio.com slash nativity scene to put your name in to get one of those nativity sets. Oh, just a nativity, not a scene. It's, you know, our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and the Child Jesus, and it's neat. So... So do it. Um, couldn't hurt. All right. Let's see here. Um, this is a, we played the song Anthem at one point. Uh, uh, some of us came up with alternative lyrics to the song. Can you, can you, can you cue in, Nick, can you cue in uh, Anthem real quick? Um, it's, it's just a song that I find insulting. Yes. Okay, that's enough, Nick. It's this arrogant song about how our generation is the best thing since sliced bread. Well, we are we are called, we are chosen, we are Christ for one another. Um, well, the, 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 this is from uh, I don't know, from Mary. She says, "We are cold, we are frozen, we are ice for one another. We are popsicles tomorrow, while we are ice cream today." Okay, well, thank you. That's that's. Uh, that's maybe just we are cold when next time you hear we are called, we are chosen, we are Christ, think we are cold, we are frozen, we are ice for one another. That'll kibosh that song. All right, moving along. Um, this is interesting. I mentioned, um, um, let's see here. Um, I think I shared this with you. Uh, Karen, who, who, uh, often writes me and, and has some very good insights in scripture, she uh, talked about the, the parable of the, um, of the labors or the the injunction in scripture your uh um pray the harvest masters and laborers into the harvest and it struck her that um this might be very literal working side by side with people would have been a great way to propagate the mission and that really is what uh saint jose maria escriba de balaguer uh, founder of opus dei said that that in our work we should we should be the message of Christ as well as speak it. So um, I, I just thought that was kind of interesting that Jesus might have been picturing something quite literally. He said, "Go work with people." That's certainly how Paul did it. He worked for a, a living. Okay, now we have. Um, let's see here. Uh, this is from Mark. Uh, Hi, Father Simon. I hope you can help me. When this seems to be a matter of grammar, uh, the first part of the Nicene Creed is made up of four phrases. Um, the second phrase describes God. The third phrase describes God. The fourth phrase is where I'm a bit confused. Do we believe in God? Now, remember, let me back off for a minute, that that um, the creed is essentially this. 
I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you say that on Sunday, you're saying, I trust in one God. I would say the most important word in the creed is in. If I say, I believe that you exist, you will say, good, Father, I'm glad you're taking your medication. I'm not saying that I believe God exists. I'm saying I trust in one God. I'm not trusting in a multiplicity of gods. I'm trusting in one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the creed goes on to describe the Father, to describe the Son, to describe the Holy Spirit. So uh, do we believe in God who made all things visible and invisible? Or do we believe in God and all things visible and visible? Uh, no, it's it's a uh, uh, maker of all things visible and invisible. And just another thought on that. We, for a while, we, we had it translated seen and unseen. That is a very bad translation, uh, seen and unseen. If I stand behind a door, I'm still visible. It's just I'm unseen. If you go around the door, you can, you'll see me. Well, guess what? Um, the, the, uh, the idea of visible and invisible, visible means able to be seen and invisible means unable to be seen. So he is the maker of, of all worlds, whatever universes that exist. He is the maker of all of them. He is the maker of all things visible and invisible. Factorum celiatere visibilium et invisibilium of invisible. So invisible. So I think those are those are important things to think about. All right. That said, I think we should go to um, what do we call that? A break. <laughs> yes. And uh, and you can call in. The phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we will come back. Uh, uh, I hope we'll come back with a word of the day. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, I love those hills of Virginia, from those blue ridge hills I did roam. When I die, won't you bear me on the mountain, far away to my blue ridge mountain home. Welcome back to the Reverend Know-It-All fire-baptized gospel hour, as I like to call it. Actually, Father Simon says, and I'm Father Father Simon, does the sessing. And let us then go to the word of the day about which I will say something. There we go. We read in the first reading, through him, our Lord Jesus, we have received the grace of apostleship. What is apostleship? I mean, just you know, it's a word. It's you know, well, well, what is apostleship? Again, I, I, I just you know, I, there's nothing new under the sun, and certainly nothing new that I have to say. But I'm always telling you that the word apostle simply means missionary. That's what it means. That there were seventy-two apostles recognized in the early church, and there were probably a lot more of them. There were 12 of the 12. Jesus established a government in the church. People say, well, it was just a bunch of people getting together, breaking bread, and telling nice stories about Jesus until some people realized that there was gold in them, their hills. No, 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 no. Jesus actually established a structure. And uh, uh, sometimes the structure works well when we follow the way Jesus established it, sometimes not as well as others. But 
this idea of apostleship is uh, people say, how could Paul be an apostle? He wasn't one of the 12. Well, he must have taken the place of Judas. No, he didn't take the place of Judas. Another took the place of Judas. Paul was an apostle because he was a missionary. And that's what he's saying in this. In this letter to the Romans, he's saying that that we have received by we. He's talking about him and his friends. I think he's using the grand we here, the humble grand we. Not just I, but he does go on to say, I have received this. But we have received the grace of apostleship. So what's apostleship in Greek? It's apostoli. Apostello is I send out. Apostoli is a sending out. It, it means delegation. We have been delegated by Christ. Through him, we have received delegation. And this is a real important idea because this this grace, this undeserved favor of delegation is what they've received. They've been given a job by the Lord to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, why? For the sake of his name. And with whom? Among all the Gentiles. So the, the, the non-Jews are included in this. So there, that's what apostleship means. It isn't, it isn't uh, uh, <laughs> apostleship. It isn't... Uh, I don't know. When I hear apostleship, I think of some sort of committee that I join. No, that's not it. It's it's a delegation. You've been given a task, and you've been given the authority for the task, and you'll be given the power for the task. All right. Well, let us go now to phone calls at 888-914-9149. The phone, it is. Yes. Oh, who we got? Who we got? Frank from Bolingbroke. I know Bolingbroke. I grew up not far from there. Have had kindred in Bolingbroke. What can I do for you, Frank? Frank? We're, yeah. We're going to go to Judy. Where's Judy from? Oceanside, California. Judy, are you with us? Judy? Judy, you're, you're, there's something glitching. I think it must be in our system because we're, we're going to talk to the engineers. The, those are the ones who drive the train. And uh, I'm going to do another letter. We'll come back to Frank and Judy. God willing. Where was I? All right. See, radio, not yet an exact science, especially when I'm involved with it. All right, I had more. Ah, here we go. This is uh, Lenten Music from Robert from Oakland. Um, he's enjoyed the mass hysteria things. Uh, I enjoy them, too. I have fun doing it. It's so nice to be able to fetch and complain and all that and as you're also kind to listen to it. All right. Uh, many of those old songs now cause an abdominal reaction. Yes, abdominable. <laughs> Not abominable, abdominal. Anyway, the pop tunes that are instantly likable and hummable, they have a very short shelf life and played often enough to become tiresome and annoying, even those that are halfway decent. Eagle's Wings and Be Not Afraid I used to love, but now they are an overplayed song on the radio. Moreover, the worst thing about this music is it's all the same mood akin to bland, pleasant, and light FM, easy listening, soft rock, never exalted in glory or downcast in repentance. You know, it's interesting. I had never thought of it that way. A recent sour note this year for Ash Wednesday, the opening song was Enter the Journey. A bit too cheerful for Lent, don't you think? Well, I'd never thought about that. That that Jesus said, be hot or cold or I will spit you from my mouth. Contemporary music is neither hot nor cold, and contemporary Catholicism is often neither hot nor cold. That, you know, when I say hot nor cold, I don't mean we should be beating on each other with, uh, with, uh, you know, with the communion patents. That's not what I'm saying. 
but but we should you know that 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 the 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 music that has become common is well it's very bland it's very nice but it's designed not to offend i think that's a really good insight so thank you for that um uh, robert let's see how we doing are we anywhere near phone calls no we're gonna keep going oh i feel terrible about this um let's see um I think I did this. Uh, yeah, I did that one about the, the joyful mysteries and how can the presentation in the temple and the finding of the temple be joyful. Well, when you find a lost kid, it's very joyful. But even even the uh, uh, the, the the finding in the temple, I talked about that. Um, of course, the presentation in the temple is uh, a sword will pierce your heart. How can that be joyful? Well, even suffering in the Lord is joyful. All right, we got uh, Don who wrote saying... Uh, I've been listening to your mass hysteria segments with special interest, having been a kid in grade school when the Hootenanny Mass hit. I remember a pastor talking about attracting young people with modern music. I remember being insulted by his assumption that unlike real people who were there to worship God, we little fools were there for the bad guitar music. <laughs> this is wonderful stuff. I was fortunate to be offended. Many of my contemporaries who fell for it went down the primrose path that ends outside the church. This is brilliant! Don, thank you, because, you know, we got to draw the young people, and it didn't work. Face it, that, that the, it didn't, it worked for a little while, but it didn't work in the long run. Uh, um, the same disaster would have happened if they were to be entertained by a chant or polyphony. Music is usually an entertainment, and even sacred music is never far from being mistaken for an entertainment. That's why we got to remember chant. There's something so moving about an entire congregation singing the words of Scripture in a simple way. All right, let's go back to phones. Is we got Frank? Sir, yes, Father. Frank, here. I think we're good. I can hear you. What's okay. up, Frank? What can I do for you? Okay, I, I'll, I'll try to put it in focus and condense it. First, I... I uh, Frank, I think again, we're still having uh, technical problems. Oh, dear, Frank. Uh, you know, don't give up. <laughs> uh, I think we're having technical problems against... Ah, having trouble believing Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, Frank, let me explain you something. The idea of a trinity, how can there be one God, three persons? Easy. If you believe what the Scripture says, that God is love, the trinity makes perfect sense if god is love who's he gonna love well us he can love us that means that he would be dependent on his creation for his existence if we collectively human beings were the second part of that relationship which is god saint john paul the great said God is the perfect family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're invited into that family. If we were the second person of the Trinity, if we were God's beloved, he would be dependent on us for his existence, and then he wouldn't be God. From eternity, without change, without uh, diminishment, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I offer for your consideration the book, uh, uh, oh, I think it's um, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Uh, 
it makes perfect sense that if God, we read in Romans, the eighth chapter, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that he created us in order to adopt us. He wants to make us the sons and daughters of God. So he sent his only begotten son. And I thought about it, that, that the heart He's, you know, another way to, to look at Jesus is Jesus is the very heart of God. That, that, that who's your heart if not your kids? You know, the father loved the son. Person one in the Trinity loved person two and person two loved person one. And their perfect love is the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how God works. And he wants to invite us into that relationship. So he gave us his heart who was incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God. That's why we call him the Son of God. It's the closest we can get to describing the reality, the most perfect words that we can use in this human context. But then uh, St. Saint, Saint John says elsewhere, little children, uh, and you're, you're the children of God, and so you're, you're called and so you are. But what we shall become is not yet come to light. We describe God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit using terms that are familiar to us. However, we will, the scripture says elsewhere, know as we are known. The fullness of that relationship will be known to us. So understand that if you realize God is, our argument isn't about whether God exists or not. God exists by definition. That greatest reality which exists is God. What Christianity is talking about is the nature of God. What is the nature of God? God is the perfect family. You see? And, and again, that's a, an earthly and human term to describe it, but it's the best we got. And so we finite beings created by God were created for a destiny to be brought into that family, which is God. And the heart of God came from the throne of God to bring that about, to show us what God's real nature was. You know, born in a barn, died on a cross. Uh, that's That's what God is like. So... The heart of God came to teach us what God is like and to invite us to become part of that relationship of love. It all hinges on a simple revelation. God is love. Jews and Muslims, our fellow monotheists, don't say what God is. Jews will say what God is not. I don't even think Muslims will go that far. God is absolutely sovereign in Islam. Uh, but uh, um, you can't say what God is in, in, in Judaism. You can only say what God is not. Christianity goes so far as to say what God is. God is love. So I hope that helps a little, Frank. I think uh, I think we're going, and I will be certainly praying for you. That, and if you want Jesus to prove to you that he's the Son of God, don't ask me. Ask him. Ask him. We're going to go to another letter, and hopefully that will work. I do have more letters. Oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. Where Ah, here one is. No, that's not one. Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Okay. Uh, I want to go back to that mass entertainment idea that that was just fascinating that um, uh, that that uh, the letter I got from from Don in Geneva the idea that 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 music is generally thought of as a kind of entertainment whereas music in the mass is supposed to be an incarnation what. Yeah, it's supposed to incarnate something. What does incarnate mean? It means to put something in the flesh. 
we talk about incarnational. It's in the flesh. But that's what it means. The word uh, caro and the genitive of it in Latin, carnis, that means flesh. And singing enfleshes the gospel. Think about singing. When you talk, it's from the neck up. But when you sing, you sing for the diaphragm. I remember, I was always, <laughs> see, this is another reason that the clergy shouldn't sing in a microphone. Now you know. But the, 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 you got to get down there right, right in the middle of your, of your torso in the diaphragm. You sing from the diaphragm. And, uh, the diaphragm is that thing that pumps your lungs up and down. Think about it. That, that talking comes from the head. Singing comes from the gut as well as the head. So you're involving the whole person. That's why we sing that, that it's, it's important to sing in worship. However, to sing music because it's entertaining is not worship. It's not worship. You know, it's interesting that, uh, uh, my Pentecostal friends talk about word praise and worship music. No, it's not worship music. Worship is more profound than praise. Praise is something I can do in my head that I, I want to talk about how great God is. And that's why we can praise the saints. We don't worship the saints. We can praise them. So what's worship? The word worship in Greek is to fall flat down on your face before God. That's what worship is. And, uh, we worship the Lord, um, uh, in, in, in really, in, uh, here's the, the trite word, in an incarnate way. So that idea of worshiping God, uh, uh, there's only one fit way to worship God. Uh, what is the, the, the wonderful song, uh, the Fatima prayer that's tacked onto the divine mercy devotion? Uh, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason to believe that Jesus is the son of God. The only fit worship, the only fit sacrifice for our heavenly father is the body and blood, soul and divinity of his dearly beloved son. So we Catholics, for us, when we talk about worship, it isn't music. It isn't a nice tune that makes us feel good. It is kneeling before God and saying, here, you've given me your son. I give him back and myself with him. That's worship. It is it is the complete submission of the person to God. It isn't an inspiring song, though I really do like inspiring songs. So I think Don, your point is is really good. I want to read. Uh, let's see. I want to. Well, this we have. Uh, we live in a time of unprecedented entertainment possibilities. Kumbaya could never compete in that market. On the other hand, if you're there to worship, the Eucharistic sacrifice has no near competitor. Many of us young people are now grandparents to people like a girl you mentioned didn't know who Noah was, even though Bugs Bunny's audience <laughs> was assumed to know Nimrod. Here's the important part of this letter. The same disaster would have happened if there was to be if they were to be entertained by chant or polyphony. Music is usually an entertainment, and even sacred music is never far from being mistaken for entertainment. Even with the right kind of music, care is needed to keep the mass as the source and summit of worship, not just to sing along. Bingo, Don. That's right on the nose. That that uh, that. Well, the chant is boring. Good. You're not there to be entertained or unbored. You're there to give yourself body, blood, soul, and humanity to Christ who's given himself to you as body, blood, soul, and divinity. 
I think it's a very, this is an, a, an excellent letter, Don, and I'm grateful for it. Um, <clears throat> but just, just again, in the, the waning minutes of the show, since, since the, everything is glitching here, um, the, the, uh, um, this idea that, that, well, if we just have masses just more entertaining, we'll get the young people. We used to be told in the, the seminary, well, when they, when they grow up and, and want to baptize their kids, they all come back. That was three generations ago. They're not coming back. And I just beg all of you who are, are uh, still involved in that experiment of the past 60 years. It's been 60 years. 60 years since the 60s. Did it work? No. Maybe we need to rethink the experiment. But there's no rethinking Drew, who's coming up. He's going to do the Divine Mercy Chaplet, in which he will say, We offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your only begotten Son. Amen. Don't go nowhere. <laughs> 